there. Welcome to Leadership Portraits. My name is Jennifer Wright. I am your host, and I'm very excited to be here with Tina Fralstow today. So Tina Fralstow is a transformation leader. Um, she's been with some some big companies, companies you've probably heard of like Equifax and, and Verizon. And more importantly, though, she has been a mentor of mine for um lots of years uh and i i won't i won't say how many but you know lots and lots of years so we've known each other for a long time she's been a mentor and a leader and a friend of mine for for a long time and um have a lot of respect for her and her leadership capabilities and so i'm really excited today to have her share um some of her insights with the audience. So welcome, Tina. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. I'm excited to uh, do a leadership portrait with you. Yay, I'm I am excited too. Um, so one of the inaugural leadership portraits. So um it's it's very exciting to get this <laughs> this new um this new thing started. I'm I'm super, super excited about it. So Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, um, what you do, what some of your your passions are. Oh, okay. So um, besides being a mother of two and uh, a wife of many, many years, <laughs> um, let's see, I am a transformation leader. Um, I'm more of a generalist than I am a specialist, and I've had the pleasure of having a number of roles across industries, as you mentioned, um, also with some international exposure. Uh, I tend to like to get into the types of initiatives that are very complex, very challenging, and cross-functional in nature. Um, and I have both a technology and a business background, which I think lends itself very nicely to doing those types of initiatives. So I kind of understand both sides um, of that fence. You know, sometimes people talk about IT is the dark side and IT talks about the business as the dark side. And having sat in both of those, I think it gives me an opportunity to bring a little different lens um, to transformations or to large strategic initiatives. Oh, and... Let's see, more importantly, I love mentoring, as you mentioned. Um, I've done that for a number of years. I do it both inside my companies and outside for organizations such as Path Builders. I sit on the advisory board for Georgia State University's um, Women's Leadership Program. Um, I also started a nonprofit a few years ago to develop our youth. It's to reach out to underrepresented youth in the area of STEM, but we utilize basketball as a way to get to them. Um, because, right, you can't reach a lot of these kids through the normal means, um, but we can get to them through basketball. So we actually started a gym and put a STEM lab right in the middle of it. So there's some um, of my passions. Let's talk about that a little bit. So how did you find um, your leadership skills playing out in, you know, in working with a nonprofit? Because a lot of people, a lot of people want to give back to their community and they want to find ways to, and a lot of people are giving back. I, I shouldn't say want to, a lot of people are giving back. Um, and there's a, it, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic to me to find that 
that um, community type of organization that you're very passionate about. How did you find using your leader, the leadership skills that you've learned like more in a corporate environment, how do they translate into working with the, it, with the nonprofit? Um, some translated very nicely, um, and I'll share a little bit of those. Um, some didn't translate at all and mm. completely threw me for a curve. <laughs> um, cause silly me, right? Oh, I've got all these years of experience in corporate America. I've been in a number of different organizations, technology, customer service, finance, marketing, et cetera. And I'm thinking, I got it right yet. No. Nonprofit is very different from corporate America. However, setting up a program and executing it to get the nonprofit started played very well and helped me mm -hmm. <clears throat> significantly as we were working as a team to get the nonprofit off of the ground. So um, the generalist, right, those skills of understanding process definition, process improvements, program and project execution, defining a strategic roadmap and executing it, all those things that I think play into being a good leader are the things that translated from profit to a nonprofit to help us get the organization going. So what were some of the challenges that you that you found when you were were doing that? And I know um and it, there's always the the normal challenges, you know, there's nonprofits involved, you know, raising money and, and, and different things like that. Where did you, where did you really felt challenged maybe as a leader when you were, when you were doing that? Um, a couple things. One, um, some of our assumptions were grossly wrong. <laughs> You know, the good news is, right? It never happens. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, right? We execute, we learn, we adjust. We execute, we learn, we adjust. We went in with a number of assumptions. So my husband, who has a technology background, stayed in technology. Myself with a business background, partnered with two um, individuals. One was my daughter's AAU basketball coach. So he knew the basketball world, especially in the Atlanta area, inside and out. And then his wife, who knew basketball, but she also was a youth development um, um, professional in her previous life and had also started her own business. So we went into it thinking that we had all the right business experience. Um, we also went into it thinking that, oh my goodness, what company would not want to help us reach out to underrepresented youth, right? That we thought was going to be a no-brainer. So the fundraising we thought we had in the bag. Um, and then our board members, right? We had board members who were um, executives across the Atlanta area in a variety of areas and that we knew to be very passionate in this space as well. So one, again, I already shared that a lot of the corporate processes that we were thinking didn't translate directly to nonprofit. So that was one problem. The assumption that corporations would be very eager to support us was completely wrong completely wrong. There's a narrative that we really need to think about changing out there, right? And I'm I'm starting to see the change now. It didn't happen when we started the nonprofit for what, four or five years ago. Um, as soon as we said basketball or that we were operating a gym to attract these underrepresented youth, companies shut the door. They did not mm. want to, they did not want to donate because they had the perception that they were donating to a, an athletic 
corporate, like an athletic group or to a sports team or to something like that. And what we were trying to do was change the narrative. Again, we're not going to get to these kids through a STEM camp at their high school or like the Pelicans used to do a um, STEM day and they'd have everybody come out on the football field and <clears throat> they would go to all these STEM vendors and then they'd get a ticket to a game. That's it. The kids would go to get the ticket to the game. There was nothing to encourage them to stay right involved or whatever. So anyway, we really, really under underestimated how challenging it would be to change that narrative and to get companies to understand that we were trying to reach out to kids through a different means basketball. A lot of these underrepresented kids can play basketball on the playground or they can play basketball on an organized team, et cetera. So anyway, that was probably the biggest challenge that we faced. Um, the other challenge was working primarily with coaches and people that are very strong in the sports world. Um, it's a different mindset than maybe corporate America and how we approach things. There's a lot more winging it. Um, I know how to do this. I can make this happen, which they could, all of them not just our partners, everybody else that we was working with, but I was looking for standard operating procedures, processes, repeatable processes. Let's make this simple. Let's make it efficient, et cetera. So that was a little bit different than what I expected it to be. And one of the challenges that we had to overcome. Oh, that's fascinating. So was there anything, one more question and then we'll, well, then we'll get on to something. I, know, I can talk about this, this nonprofit stuff this all day. Is, so. <laughs> it, but it's such a fascinating topic with such a such an influence on leadership also and because leadership happens in so many different avenues it happens in the community it happens in the company it happens in families um so i mean leadership is such a it can be such a broad topic i think we tend to think of it from terms of like our job or, you know the, the work that we do but but it, it happens in so many different places in our lives. Um, so to me, it's a fascinating topic and, and you having this background, I think is, is, is so interesting. Um, did, was there anything that you learned as, as in doing that, that you were able to translate into a new skill or a new, uh, a new mindset in, when you went back into like the corporate or not, you didn't go back, you were doing it at the same time, but, but like <laughs> from, from a corporate, from a, from a, a, a leadership in your job kind of perspective, is there anything that, that you learned from that, that, that then translated over? Um, yeah. So real quick, one of the other challenges, by the way, you just hit on it. We all had our corporate jobs and we were starting this nonprofit. We also grossly underestimated what it would take. I mean, literally we were working every night, every weekend around the clock. Um, so that was another miscalculation on our part. Things that would translate back. Um, one of the main things was the importance of the messaging. Yeah. Not making that assumption that because I think it, I believe it, I'm passionate about it, that people are just gonna go, Oh my goodness, Tina, this is such a phenomenal thing. Of course, let me get my checkbook, right? It doesn't happen that way. Well, that translates directly to some of the strategic initiatives or even if you don't want to call them strategic initiatives because I've been a line leader too. When I was a line leader and trying to maybe drive some efficiencies into my organization, remembering that 
um, you really need to think about it from the other person's perspective and then apply that back, right? Not from your perspective and that excitement and passion. Um, that doesn't typically resonate. So I think that was one of the key takeaways was really think about what does it mean to them? You said that, and I introduced you this way and you said it, um, that you're a transformation leader. Um, transformation seems to be kind of a hot topic yep. recently. What, what is your definition? So what, when you say you're a transformation leader, what, what is that to you? <laughs> um an overused term right now <laughs> uh, I think there's so many different definitions um of transformation leader and now they have this whole concept of a transformational leader mm -hmm. um so if you go with transformational leader um there's a, a definition I've got it up here encourage inspire and motivate employees to perform in ways that create meaningful change um I think that's what any leader is and should yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call it a transformational leader. I call that leadership. Um, right. That seems to be a buzzword that's out there. A person who leads transformations, um, you know, I think for a period of time, transformations were thought of, I'm, I have a company that does X, the market is challenging us here. So now the company needs to reinvent itself to do why. Um, I think people thought of that as a transformation. I think of transformations as anything that has an impact on our employees or our customers, um, where it changes the way that they perform their job or that they receive product or services um, or how they interact with us. So I have a little bit broader definition of a transformation. Maybe, okay. I mean, you can go as far as to say is anything that can't be handled as BAU. Um, I think of that as maybe being a transformation or transformational initiative. So it, it feels though, the environment that we're in right now in a lot of cases, um, transformation is happening constantly at a much higher rate of speed than ever before. Agreed. So it feels like someone who can lead transformations is, is needed within organizations. I, um, I completely agree. Um, I think that there's an element of being able to lead a transformation that's required for any leadership position in a company. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, anyone that's report has reported to me before, um, and you might have some experience with this. I always encourage all of my employees, not just my leaders, but all of my employees, um, to learn and be able to do process improvements or process change, driving efficiencies, Lean Six Sigma, right? Um, they all need to be able to lead a project, know how to put a project in place. What's, you can, you know, charter. Well, a lot of people kind of glaze over with charter, but understanding what is the business problem you're trying to solve for? How are you going to solve for it? Who are the people that you need to have involved? Who are the people that you need to inform? 
How big is the change? What type of change management do you need to do? Any leader needs to be able to do that because if not, I don't understand how they can continue to drive their teams forward, especially like you said, Jennifer, right? Everything is changing. The marketplace is changing. And now, oh my goodness, we've got this little thing called AI out there that's going to change things. It's going to create mo even more speed of change, I think, right. for people. And so um, for, for me, it's almost everybody needs to be have that element of transformation or be able to lead a transformation and it comes down to process changes being able to uh, execute projects and programs and being able to build those relationships needed to execute etc and i think any leader needs that so you mentioned earlier you called yourself more of a generalist i mean yeah, more of a generalist as opposed to a specialist. Mm -hmm. Do you think that has um first let's let's talk about that a little bit. What how how do you think being more of a generalist has helped you, you know, from a leadership perspective versus versus being more of a specialist? And do you think that that helps from a transformation perspective, being more of a more of a generalist as, as opposed to a specialist. Um, so, yeah, so being more of a generalist, I think, gave me a little bit of. The advantage of being able to be picked up and put in any situation that needed change or maybe that needed to modernize or that needed to um, do a digital transformation, et cetera. Um, clearly, I cannot go into legal and do legal contracts, right? And there's um, you know, compliance, risk, that type of thing that I would not be qualified for, but other areas. So um, when I was assigned to lead the Business Services Center at Equifax, I had never led a call center. But I was asked to go in and assess what the how the um, center was currently operating. Um, the global chief operations officer uh, thought that they we had double the amount of people that we needed, and our KPIs were much lower than what he was expecting or needed. Um, and so, by taking that generalist view, but having the background, the technology, business acumen, process execution, et cetera. I was able to go in, develop a strategic roadmap, and execute against it. But I had to leverage people that understood call centers and call center technology and all of that. It's a matter of forming those those um, relationships that we talked about, having that influence, and then being able to create and execute against a strategic roadmap. So I've enjoyed, Jennifer, being able to take on different roles and different flavors. I tend to get a little bit bored by the way. <laughs> so, so it's nice to be a generalist. It's not for everybody, by the way. There are people that are specialists that are phenomenal and thank goodness we have them in their roles, right? Because it's what keeps the heartbeat of the company going in a lot of cases. But for me, I love having the variety and being able to move from place to place to go in and drive some of those significant changes that the company needs for their future state or for what the goals that they're working toward. So when you're, you talked about being a mentor. So when you're mentoring, say a new leader coming up, 
Um, do you recommend to them that, do you have any recommend, recommendations for them? Do you, do you encourage people to take one path or the other, the specialist path versus the generalist path? Um, or is, is that really, truly kind of a, um, a personal preference? It's a personal preference. There, like I said, there are a number of um, employees who are specialists who are absolutely phenomenal at what they do, and they're going to ride that course all the way out, which is fantastic. Um, I think the more that you enjoy developing strategy or strategic roadmaps and executing against them and driving right, driving change in the company fairly quickly, I think that leans you more towards being more of a generalist because then you take that skill set of being able to drive things and you apply it to different functional mm -hmm. areas, right? And in some cases, right. it's like a temporary thing. Like when I went over and led the business call center <clears throat> and, you know, we executed against that strategic roadmap that you had something to do with, um, I mean, we were very successful there, right? I didn't stay, it was 18 to 24 months in and then out. But there's other roles that I've had that I was in for four, six, you know, years because I the roadmap was either longer, right? Took a little bit longer or I executed the roadmap and then stayed to maintain it for a little bit. But the maintenance is what I tended not to do. So I think if you're a specialist, there's a couple things. You need to be okay with more of a maintain which like you said, there's not a whole lot of maintaining anymore because we tend to do, <clears throat> we tend to do changes all the time now <clears throat> or have to change all the time. Um, but you also need to be certain that that's a skill set that you just want to keep advancing on or continuing on. So for process leaders, for program management and execution leaders, there tends to be a cap as far as how far you're going to go, right? Unless you become more of a generalist in that space and become a chief transformation officer or something like that. So I think depending on where you sit, the idea of a generalist is very like more attractive, I should say. It's, it's different and it's more attractive than if you sit over here and you are truly a specialist and you absolutely want to follow that all the way through to whatever career aspirations you have. All right, right. That makes okay. sense? Yeah, makes total sense. Makes total sense. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, so you've, you've led lots of teams throughout your career and, you know, kind of the, the, the life of being a generalist. So you've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, what is, tell us a little bit about like one of your proudest moments as a leader. Um, I, like you said, I, I have been very fortunate. I have had an opportunity to lead amazing people and amazing teams um, that I've also had a lot of fun with. Um, but if I had to stack rank them, <laughs> I would say probably one of my proudest moments was a project called Atlas that we did at Equifax. It was a full lead to cash business transformation um, that went across all of our geographies. So we had over 20 countries that we operated in and we were, um, 
we created the processes and implemented a technology stack that standardized those industry best practice processes across all of those geographies. Um, so that in itself doesn't make it my proudest moment, of course, but what I was super proud of is that's probably one of the hardest and most complex transformations that you can take an organization through. And um, we, it was led by our chief financial officer who was, he made a couple brilliant decisions. One was when he asked for resources to be dedicated, which we did dedicate the resources. I know a lot of companies try to do these where people stay in their roles and they leave these. It's next to impossible, right? So we are fortunate enough to be pulled out of our day-to-day -day jobs and put in these roles. Um, but he asked for the top of the top across all of the functional organizations. He was like, I don't want somebody that's easy to pull off or out of their role. I want the top people because we're going to live with this for the next 20 years in the company. Um, so we had amazing people to deal with, to deal with, to work with. Um, we were deploying industry best practice um, standard processes which again, can be very challenging across different geographies when you think about compliance and regulatory. So, so we pulled all these people in. We had international representation from each of the geographies that were in the States for 28 days, home for seven, in for 28 days, home for seven. I've heard people say multiple times, um, oh, attrition on these programs is standard. That's what typically happens, whatever. We had none. We had zero voluntary attrition on that program and we were living in the basement essentially <laughs> our our um, war rooms we had dedicated conference space we had dedicated workstations we were in the basement and we were there for years right it was a couple years um nobody left the project nobody left the programs and we had fun and we are still family like what two weeks ago a group of the core team got together here in the atlanta area just to get back together and see each other i mean that's to me, when you can do a large, complex transformation like that, nobody voluntarily leaves the program after years of being like just fully dedicated to it, in some cases away from your family for extended periods of time. Um, and I mean, just remains family afterwards. I think that's huge. And we did something that at the time, no one else in the industry had done. We we launched our first site in 18 months, and the average at the time was taking seven years per our consultants that were helping us. So anyway, I think that's my proudest moment was that that team and the closeness of that team and the fact that we we were able to keep it fun. We worked our tails off. We worked our tails off, and there was a lot of stress, but we kept it fun. Sometimes you have to have an intense discussion. It makes better business decisions, right? But there's a way that you can um, almost facilitate them, right? Or you create, again, a culture and environment where you can have that exchange. It is never a personal exchange, ever. It's always about the business decision or it's always about the process. Once a decision is made, if we've empowered these individuals to make decisions, then we honor their decisions that they made. And we um, we don't go outside the conference room and then change it. We don't let people go out. If they didn't have it in here in the, in the conversation, they can't go out and have the conversation out here and stir up a bunch of ruckus because they didn't say it in here. 
So it's making sure that there's a culture that allows that intense moment of fellowship that encourages inclusion of everybody's opinion and comments, et cetera. But once a decision is made, then everybody locks arms and they move forward as a united front. Um, we had very defined roles on the team. Each of those functional leaders were the process owners and they were empowered to make decisions. And it was very clear, right, what decisions they were able to make. We still had to work collaboratively though. You have to be able to look left and look right. You can't do any of that in a silo. So I think having those defined roles held, but also the fact that they all sat together in the basement, including myself and my technology partner. We had those little corner offices upstairs with beautiful windows that were really bright. No, we came down and sat in the middle of the cubes because we could have, everything was moving so quickly, right? I mean, we keep talking about how fast companies move and they need to transform. Well, now transformations happen pretty quickly too, but think about how fast we had to make decisions down there. It enabled all of that. And I think it helped Jennifer with things didn't get to the point where they were escalated because we were all right there. And if something came up and it was something like, oh, hold on a second, that's not going to work. Or, oh my gosh, we, this, we have a new compliance requirement that has to be implemented by such and such a time frame. Okay, let's go in the war room and let's whiteboard all this stuff. We could do it real time right there. And so things didn't, we had a couple escalations. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we had escalations, but our working with each other didn't get to the point where it was escalated because we were there working closely, right, right in the middle of everything. Looking back, and so you've run some great projects you've you have a have a lot of great experiences if you were talking to yourself at like at 23 25 years old like when you were first starting your career out what advice would you give yourself Ooh. um probably the first piece of advice i would give my younger self is build my network Hmm. build my network oh my gosh, how important is that early on yeah you know now that I'm older and have had a few um senior level roles it's a no-brainer right but you know think about back then coming out of school we didn't have smartphones we didn't have LinkedIn um we didn't have Facebook so, so we had a Rolodex right and that's a lot of work <laughs> with all these business cards and we had physical business cards right that we were keeping up with and I had cards and then when I moved from one job to the next job I was like eh, am I gonna really need all these cards and blah 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 um yeah so I fell short there and I wish that I had that network and I wish that I had maintained that network starting back from when I first got out of college all the way through um so that would be one piece of advice that I'd give myself um the second piece of advice um, would probably be to lean in more earlier in my career. Mm. Um, like I lean in now, but if I had leaned in back then a little bit more, I don't mean, I, I am not talking about being arrogant. I am not talking about bullying. I am not talking about stepping on people to get ahead of them. I'm not talking about any of that. I just mean leaning in, right? Being more purposeful on my roles, 
taking specific things away from my roles to prepare me for the next role. I didn't start doing that until um, several years into my career. I landed underneath an amazing leader named Michelle Romano. Again, she's retired now, but thank goodness our paths crossed. Michelle was um, phenomenal at teaching what we used to call soft skills. Now everybody is doing it, right, finally. But back then, not everybody had soft skills. Not everybody had situational leadership, situational communication, read the room, looked at how their employees felt, right? Michelle was doing that and she was teaching that. Um, so anyway, Michelle kind of brought me out of my shell, taught me to be more purposeful in my in my roles and um, to understand that a job does, your career doesn't go like this, your career is gonna go <laughs> like whatever. Right. Um, so, so anyway, I wish that I had done that a little bit earlier. That's what I'm talking about when I say, you know, kind of lean in, um, being more confident in myself and my abilities and, and knowing where to grow them and, and how to leverage them. Um, that how to leverage them, I think is one of the most important things too, right? I have a technology background. I said for the beginning part of my career, I was behind a computer coding, um, and then I became a network engineer. And then it, so I was out installing networks and doing that kind of thing. Um, and then I crossed over to the business. Um, that's when I really started thinking about that purpose and learning those extra skills and that type of thing. So anyway, all of that, I wish I had encountered a little bit earlier in my career. So I would have, I would tell my younger self to be mindful and to be doing those types of things. Um, There, there, so many things come to mind, you know, that learning process and project management early on as well. Um, that's one of the reasons why even my interns, right? I had interns, not last year, but the year before I had interns, weekly meeting with them. I just to pulse them. How are they doing, et cetera. Told them the same thing, learn process, learn project management, mm -hmm. build your network. And I was like, right now, if I don't have an invitation on LinkedIn from every one of you by the end of the day, right, <laughs> I'm going to come back to you. So, um, you know, those types of things. Um, I don't know that my earlier self had enough experience to know generalist versus specialist. I thought I was specializing. I was specializing on the technology side. It wasn't until I went over to the business side that I decided to be more of a generalist. Um, so that part, I don't think I would have told my younger self, but I think what I would have what I garden out of that and would tell my younger self is be very in tune with what you enjoy doing, mm. how you can apply that. So I love that we love to tell kids coming out of college, find your dream job, find what you love doing, but we forget to tell them and be able to pay your bill. Right. So, so I don't want to just, you know, I wouldn't tell my younger self, oh yeah, just go find something that you love doing. I love training, training dogs. Right. And I've been somewhat successful at it. I can't make any money at it. So like, I'm not going to leave my corporate role to go train jobs because I can't afford to pay my bills if I do that. Right. Um, but I do think that there's an element of be very mindful so what I've learned is that I really enjoy solving problems and I really enjoy those complex, you know, those complex problems that other people don't want to do. If I had been more in tune with that earlier, I, I might have changed my career trajectory. So that would be something. Oh, that's great advice. That's great advice. I do believe that that this whole idea of finding a dream job is um, 
I, I think you can't find it. I think you have to create it. I think you have to build it. I think you have to discover it um, as you as you go. And I think sometimes you have to like take the job that may not have been the thing you wanted to take because how many times have we created something totally different than what we thought we we were going into because we we were willing to take um that job that yeah that may not have been our favorite thing but let's go try it out and see what happens well and you know again that's a a lesson kind of a lesson learned along the way that maybe right again sharing with the younger me don't expect like instead of thinking about and defining what your next role is going to be by title and get all hooked on these titles think more about what are the skills that you need to acquire to get to yeah. the job that you aspire to have, right? So when I crossed over to the business and I started playing around with process and execution, had an opportunity to be a frontline leader in operations, then I really kind of like, hey, I like this operations thing. I really like this. And I like the fact that I can apply all those general skills that I learned to running a frontline or to help modernize a center or whatever. Um, so, so that then sparked, you know what, one day I want to be a COO. Okay. Well then what are the skill sets am I going to need in order to be a COO? They weren't this, it wasn't going like this. It was taking some of those assignments, Jennifer, that you mentioned that filled the need for me to learn certain skill sets that prepared me to be aligned for a COO role. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. So. Um, well, thank you so much again, great insights, great information. I'm really excited to share this with the audience. I think, um, I think they'll get a lot, a lot out of this. So I really appreciate your time and your, um, your willingness to share your stories. And, um, it's, it's not always all, roses and champagne it's there's <laughs> a lot of um dirt and a lot of uh ugly stuff that happens and and um so so i you know i appreciate you sharing um everything that you've kind of learned along the way well thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun i love i love the leadership portraits what a great idea Jennifer, so thank you for providing this platform for leaders to share their stories. Um, it's fun to share. It has not been all roses. Um, there's been some challenges that we take away as learnings, and the more that we can cross-pollinate our learnings, the better off we're all going to be. So I've really enjoyed it, um, and it's always fun to spend time with you. So thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Sounds great. Thanks, Jennifer. Talk soon. All right.